Hi, you're listening to The Daily Podcast. I'm your co-host, Rob Katz. And I'm the other co-host, Armand Smigelski. This is episode one of a cast that we hope will continue through the rest of the semester. And our first episode is going to be covering a story that came out about two weeks ago. Tufts Police Chief Travels to Israel for Counterterrorism Seminar by Liam Knox, published on January 26th. We felt this would be a good starting point for the cast because we found there were a lot of strong reactions to it. It's a a very, you know... Contentious issue. Yeah, and we felt like this was the kind of uh, scenario in which we could bring in people from different sides and kind of get a sense for why people felt the way they did. So we brought on Liam Knox, the reporter and uh, editor of the investigative team for The Daily, to talk about his experience writing the article uh, and the challenges he faced, why he felt the nature of the article and its subject matter got um, in the way and kind of affected the way that he would go about writing it and the responses he got. We also spoke with Itamar Ben-Aharon, former co-president of Friends of Israel, Molly Tumis and Amira Al-Subay of Students for Justice in Palestine, and Andrew Goldblatt, member of J Street U's National Board. This is our first time recording something like this, so the audio quality may not be great, but all of our interviewees have really interesting and important perspectives to share, and we hope you can gain a lot from it. Yeah, we uh, had to undergo some experiments, as you can probably tell, um, from uh, different kinds of recording scenarios and equipment we used, and we think that for next week's episode, we're going to have a lot of that more on lock, Um, but as Armand said, what we think really shines in this episode is the uh, different perspectives and kind of meat of the interviews. That being said, we're going to hand this one off to Liam Knox for the first one. And we sincerely hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. What was, what got you dis, uh, interested in writing this article? Well, I had uh, a piece in actually the Worcester local paper, um, Worcester Mass, had been uh, brought to my attention by a friend of mine. Um, I looked into it a little more carefully. Uh, and what really, um, like, made me passionate about actually turning it into uh, a full-fledged piece that was more than just a recap of the event was all of the controversy that I found out was surrounding programs like the one that the ADL was sponsoring. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was especially interesting kind of in in light of the fact that there was really no input or output of, like, press from Tufts about McGuire's trip to Israel. Um, so I felt like it was something that tough students, uh, as well as alum and other community members didn't really know about, um, which turned out to definitely be the case. Um, but, uh, and that like definitely is a narrative that was being framed in, in specific ways where like certain voices weren't being, uh, included in that narrative. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so to me, uh, writing the piece, um, you know, one of my main goals was to tell the full story. Um, which means telling it the way that piece is like the Worcester piece and like this, a piece that came out in the Somerville, uh, uh, the Somerville, uh, I actually don't know if it was the Somerville paper. It might have been like an online 
Somerville media outlet, but there was a piece I read about Somerville Police Chief David Fallon going mm-hmm. as well, who I tried to get in touch with for the piece, but who never responded to my calls. Um, yeah. Uh, was, to, was to do it in a way that was more uh, comprehensive than those pieces had done, which was basically just kind of taking the police uh, uh, um, at face value, taking their narrative at face value, and not kind of uh, looking into the controversy and some of the, some of the challenges that uh, were being, were being uh, uh, you know, some of the concerns that were being voiced about um, community policing, uh, um, you know, institutions taking part in, in training with, with basically a militant, uh, uh, you know, p- uh, police state uh, mm-hmm. organizations. What is the kind of narrative uh, that you got from the police? Well, the, the interesting thing, I would have loved to have sat down with Kevin McGuire and talked about what he learned there and have had like a real human discussion about what went on during that seminar because it's very secretive. Um, if you read the piece, you know that, that the only reason I was able to even obtain an itinerary, not even for this year, but for last year, is because another journalist for Mondo Vice had obtained a, uh, the itinerary through a records in, uh, request um, through the Orlando Police Department um, last year. Um, and, like, so I really didn't have that much information about it, and there was very little communication with McGuire other than my initial email uh, with which he, to which he replied that, you know, yeah, I went. He basically confirmed uh, details, and there was no more back and forth, even though I sent him a long list of follow-up questions, which is disappointing and happens, honestly, with TUPD quite often. They're very unwilling to engage in actual discussion. They're very unwilling to have face-to-face or even phone interviews, Um, and so these exchanges become less of exchanges and more like um, their opportunity to construct uh, like like a, uh, a very safe... Uh, basically public relations message and then put it out to the Daily, which which McGuire actually, this time TUP didn't even feel the need to do. McGuire just deferred to Patrick Collins' uh, statement from the university, which is included in the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only real dialogue I had with either TUPD or the university was a confirm or deny dialogue because I was basically told that no one was willing to actually engage in a conversation with me about details. Um... Yeah, so I didn't have much conversation with TUPD, and like I said, I tried to reach out to, to David Fallon's office as well. It's it it was disappointing, um, to be honest. Police, uh, I have found, uh, I'm uh, over my years with the Daily. I'm, I'm I'm a junior. It was officially three years. It's officially uh, it's officially three after this semester. Um, but yeah, I, just something I've learned is that the police are are typically uh, reticent when it comes to. Uh, Communicating with journalists, they, they tend to be very, very cautious to the point where I think it can actually hurt their ability to get a narrative out there that they might want have want, wanted to have gotten out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's my take on it. The article has a lot of vagaries to it. It's, it's kind of a bit of a shrouded article mm. in terms of what's actually going on. It's, yeah, well, it's a shrouded program. Yeah. So. Um, there's not a whole lot of information out there. I, the, the itinerary, the article in which the itinerary is embedded is linked actually online, so if any listeners want to go and view the full 2016 itinerary, it's available um, through a, a semi-convoluted, but you know, it's there on our website. Click on the Mon Device link, and, and the itinerary link is embedded within that article. Uh, you know, obviously, I also spoke to uh, activists with Jewish Voice for Peace who are running a campaign right now against uh, exchange programs like these. I spoke to, mm-hmm. I mean... The, the Anti-Defamation League as well. Um, 
But people, people in JVP were very well informed on the issue, uh, sort of pointed me to um, other places where I could find information um, about these, these programs, and uh, you know, we were able to, to verify them factually, and, and it ended up being some, some, some pretty disturbing stuff, um, which is why I think a lot of people are trying to call bias on this piece, because it's presenting this issue of U.S. police, U.S.-Israel police exchanges, um, in a way that no, no outlet except for sort of, like let, I, I know that like there's a piece in the Intercept all about this, this issue. Um, you know, no real mainstream outlet ever really talks about this issue like this. Um, there are and there's there are reasons for that. There are reasons for that that I believe are uh, in, embedded in power relations. Um, uh, and you know, it, it ends up excluding voices that are very important to hear when it comes to dealing with oppressive policing policies. It's, it's hard as a journalist to be presented with a story, what's clearly a story, our police chief traveled to attend a counterterrorism seminar. Okay, what counterterrorism is a term that has often been used, and this is an undeniable fact for anyone who's not been living under a rock and has been paying attention to American politics in the past two decades. It's often been used as a sort of blanket term to justify oppressive policies. Um, the Patriot Act is a great example of that. Anything that Bush did in terms of curbing the civil liberties of Americans, specifically of Muslim Americans in the post-9-11 sort of paradigm, is a great example of that. Counterterrorism, to me, is uh, a word that can mean many different things. So I wasn't about to sort of take people at their word, especially policing organizations, which are known to kind of just use this term to justify anything and everything, um, and, and also justify secrecy around things. But that secrecy means that I couldn't go directly to the ADL for the itinerary, even though I tried. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go right to McGuire for details about his trip, even though I tried, because they refused to, to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so what I have to end up doing is turning to activists uh, and, and, and journalists, in the case of the Mondavice uh, uh, journalist Alex Kane, who, who ended up acquiring the itinerary, who have done this kind of uh, groundwork to make this issue more transparent. Um, and sometimes that leads to, to calls of bias, but it, it's, it's otherwise there's a blockade of information, mm -hmm. there's a lack of transparency that is, it, it doesn't serve the community, and, and it is my, it's our responsibility, I, I, I don't know if you would agree or not, but as, as a news reporter in the past, I think you might, to make sure that issues that we cover, we are as transparent as possible, even if it means subverting policies of secrecy. Yeah, I, I would say that um, a lot of the time, if you are, like you said, if there's a blockade of information on one side, and you're unable to access through more... Uh, official and right. mainstream sources, you are going to have a tonal shift regardless about the information that you receive through the groups that are willing to give you that information. Yes, and I mean, obviously as a journalist, I try to account that as much as I can. Mm -hmm. I mean, I spoke extensively to Robert Treston, who is the New England director of the Anti-Defamation League. Um, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. When there is, when I don't when I don't have access to those voices because there's sort of a blanket policy of don't talk to journalists um, and don't provide them with this information about the, the seminar. They claim that it's for the security of the participants, but the seminar had ended a month and a half bef uh, before I started writing the piece, so I don't really buy that, um, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. um, when, when that kind of stuff happens, 
I can't go right to the ADL, as I would have liked to, to obtain this information from the source. Uh, I, I had to turn up to, 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 other, to other sources, and I'm glad that I did, because this is information that isn't false. Um, if it was, I think we would have heard about it, but if the itinerary was false, it's not a false itinerary. Yeah, someone this definitely is, would have reached out to this is, These are just, these are facts, and some people might, um, might say that, you know, condemnations from the UN, from places like the Amazon Center for Human Rights, and from places like, even within Israel, uh, the, the Public Committee Against Torture in Israel has condemned Shin Bet and has mm-hmm. uh, issued over, a th- I think the, the statistic, and it's not in the article, but that I remember is it has issued over a thousand complaints to the Israeli government and has, um, and, and I don't believe Shin Bet has been the subject of any internal investigation um, despite those complaints. Uh, and, and so when all this information is being made available to me and I'm being given no... Uh, no substantive comment on it um, other than the ADL basically calling them fringe campaigns and mm-hmm. radical hate campaigns when that's kind of clearly not the case. Um, these statistics, these, these facts about policies that Yassam and Shinbet use are, are disturbing and whether you believe they're justified or not, calling it a, a hate campaign is I think pretty ludicrous. Um, and that quote's in the article but, you know, I, I felt the need, and I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, that, that I, I followed through with this, to present that information despite the fact that the ADL and TUPD clearly did not want it out there, because mm-hmm. that's part of the job of journalists. Um, yeah, so that's how I dealt with the secrecy issue. Um, and that's why some of it is kind of vague, because the stuff that I end up, ended up got, getting from the ADL, the, the information that I was made privy to, um, was incredibly one-sided. It wasn't an exchange. It wasn't open. There mm-hmm. was no transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that ends up sorting, sort of, sort of uh, 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 obstructing my ability to be as as clear as I as as I can be mm-hmm. in presenting the information. So that's the first thing that I think is at stake in this article, and yeah. the thing that I think uh, came to be more at stake after the article's release, and I want to get to that in a minute, but. I also, partly out of my own curiosity, having read the article and having thought about it and feeling like I can, I've come to my own conclusions in certain senses, mm. um, how does this 90-day seminar on whatever uh, techniques, mm-hmm. ideas, um, you know, uh, uh, processes, protocol taken from that, how does that, how do we think that that affects police work on campus? Right. And it is a very good question to ask, at least. Um, does it address the intended goal? Mm. And then I guess another question from there is, is the intended goal worth responding to? Okay, so how, how realistic is, is this fear of a terrorist attack? And what are the pros and cons, right? So the pros are the, and the, and, and some, and there's, there are students who do genuinely believe that uh, police having learned from Israeli quote-unquote counterterrorism experts and policing organizations uh, uh, that tough students will then be safer and can sort of sleep more easily at night. That's a valid point of view, and it's expressed in the piece. Mm-hmm. There are other students who have grave concerns um, about the fact that this seminar, you know, it, it, it relies on organizations like Shin Bet and Yassam. These are not progressive policing organizations. They're not community policing organizations. They're organizations that control borders. They're organizations that... Are, have been widely condemned for the violence and inhumanity of their p- policies, and that's information that can be found anywhere online. 
um, places like the ADL will uh, condemn these condemnations to get kind of meta about it um, as anti radical anti-Israel hate uh, campaigns. But if you really look deeper into the facts, as I did and as I have, uh, it becomes clear that that that's um, that's not that's not true. Um, that there are valid concerns whether or not you you're, whether you're pro-Israel or not pro-Israel. There are valid concerns about human rights at stake here. And I think that concerns being brought up by people like, um, uh, you know, by students on campus like uh, Amira, uh, who's, who's um, uh, a member of Students for Justice in Palestine and is also quoted in the piece, that... And uh, will likely be in this episode. Yes. Um, I, we're scheduled yes. to speak with her, I think, on uh, sometimes this week. Amazing. So. Yes. Uh, um, she was very articulate and, and very, very sincere in her, her concerns that, that Palestinian students, Arab students, she's Arab herself, uh, will be targeted, uh, and, and will, will suffer from, at the, at the, you know, from, uh, uh prejudice policing. Mm -hmm. Um, this, this article makes no, no assumptions as to whether or not that will happen or has happened. Uh, it, it, you know, there have been concerns with TUPD's practices brought up in the past. Um, there was an Observer article published, I believe, at the beginning of last semester. Uh, Jonathan Innocent was the author for that. A very good piece examining racial biases, as subtle as they can be and as implicit as they can be, mm -hmm. uh, within, within some of TUPD's practices. And I think these are valid concerns. Uh, uh, I don't know if they'll play out. You know, I don't know if I don't know if we'll ever be subject to, you know, I don't know if uh, if the kind of surveillance, uh, uh, like methods or, or intelligence gathering, counterterrorism, what have you, methods that they learned it, it, that McGuire learned at this seminar will ever come in handy. I can't make those predictions. All I can do is amplify the voices of students who have valid concerns about uh, its implications for their for their freedom of expression, mm -hmm. for their freedom of political protest and action on this campus. So I'm here with Itamar Ben Aaron, so, uh, a former co-president of Friends of Israel, to discuss the recent article. So what was your reaction, as well as other reactions you noticed, to the article? Um, well, I think my reaction and the general reaction from a lot of people who I've spoken to is a lot of concern over the sort of language that's used surrounding Israel and Zionism specifically in this article, but also largely on campus. Um, if I can go into it a little bit, um, I think that the like the portrayal of Zionism in this article as being inherently negative demonstrates a sort of discrimination that wouldn't be tolerated by the Tufts Daily or any Tufts institution against any other ideological group on campus. Um, for instance, the most striking um, quotation from the article is, seminar's Zionist ideology leads to concerns over possible political repression on campus. I think that's a very dangerous um, conflation to create to sort of imply that Zionism will inherently lead to political repression it is very damaging to Zionists on campus, including myself. Um, the idea that having the chief of police being 
quote unquote inculcated with very strong pro-Israel view, pro-Israel viewpoint and presenting that, that as a negative um, is again very damaging to Zionists on campus. Also stating that Israel is inherently incompatible with progressive ideology just isn't based on any sort of fact and is again um, very coded anti-Semitism honestly in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So going back to the the idea of as you mentioned, there there was that like section that said the Zionist leanings. In there was a uh, quote from one of the people who used to run those trainings saying that police officers like did come back as like quote unquote like Zionists. Right, and I think that Zionism has a very broad definition, and to imply that that's an inherently negative thing is in very like I said very discriminatory. Like, in my opinion, Zionism is the Jewish people's right to self-determination, and I would assume that's what the organizer meant as well. Mm. Um, So to have police officers who believe that all people have a right to self-determination isn't, in my opinion, a bad thing. And to say that it is, is, like I said, coded, bigoted language. Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts in general about the seminar taking place? Do you think these things are good, bad? I mean... I do think it's good. I think it's always good to learn from other people, um, no matter what their viewpoint are. I mean, I have trust in TUPD that they um, will take the positives from the seminar. I mean, even the article says that the seminar's um, contents aren't made public, so I can't really speak to what specifically they'll gain from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have faith that it will make the campus community a safer place. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you think that the these events are newsworthy just the like the fact that TUPD traveled to another country for training is something that should be covered yeah I think it's certainly newsworthy I think that what people take issue with is the article is sort of the standards that were utilized in reporting this news Um, for instance like I said before the contents of the article stated the contents of the seminar are um, confidential and yet there's sort of these hearsay testimonies over what takes place and again it's used to portray Zionism and uh, the state of Israel in a very negative light. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think really that the point of this whole article was to sort of create, to fearmonger essentially around this, um, this exchange. And I think a lot of it really belongs in the opinion section of the daily and not the news section. Sort of the idea that, um, sorry. No, no. It's so reliant on like one student's opinion. Um, and that the idea that students should fear more surveillance or even that the idea that this exchange will lead to more surveillance on campus just isn't grounded in any sort of fact. Um, And it also, what I think was most striking was the conflation of the instances of discrimination against uh, POC groups on campus with this exchange. Um, I think place a very dangerous narrative of pro-Israel students being complicit in this sort of domestic discrimination that we see. Mm which definitely isn't something that I feel is true and I think was very pointed and had a very clear political agenda behind it. Mm -hmm. And how do you think the event should have been reported? Um, I think it really should have been grounded more in fact. I think it was fine to get quotations from JVP, but I think it's also important to contextualize what JVP is. Um, Jewish Voices for Peace is seen as... um, a very anti-Israel, um, and in some cases, 
um, very anti-Semitic group, and I think that those criticisms weren't properly um, presented in the article, whereas criticisms of the Anti-Defamation League were given a lot more um, forefront in the article. Mm-hmm. Okay, because there, there was one section in the article where I believe the Northeastern director of the ADL said, like, don't listen to JVP. They're like a fringe group or something along those lines. Right, but again, that sort of was written as an aside to the article, and I think the criticisms of the Shin Bet of ADL were given a lot more of a prominent space than uh, criticisms of more anti-Israel groups. Okay. And one last question. So given the amount of campus activism surrounding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, do you think that attending this training could raise concerns of bias? I mean, if they're trying to raise that, then they should raise it in the opinion section, because that's what it is. It's an opinion. Um, I don't think there's any proof, any journalistic evidence that these seminars will raise um, instances of bias. I haven't heard that happening in any other universities, so I don't think there's any reason to believe that it'll happen on Tufts campus. Next on the list, we spoke with Amira Al-Subay and Molly Tumas of Students for Justice in Palestine. For clarity, Molly is the first person to begin answering the question, followed by Amira. I'm here with uh, SJP members Molly Tumas and Amira Al-Subay. And I guess the first question that I would ask is the broadest one, which is, why do you believe these seminars are cause for concern and like, no, maybe? It's a big question. Um, there are a lot of reasons, but I think that both the Israeli, Israeli military and police and the police here have done a lot of really bad things in the past, and the fact that they're exchanging these ideas and like exchanging these, quote, worst practices, as the deadly exchange campaign um, calls them, is just a big issue that we should definitely be worried about. Um, and the fact that they call it a counterterrorism seminar um, it sort of like raises questions about what they're considering terrorism and who they're considering terrorists and yeah. Right. I think this is actually like a really poignant moment to be having this discussion because uh, just yesterday was the 17th birthday of Ahed Tamimi who um, is currently in Israeli prison um, for her acts of resistance against the IDF forces who have conducted house raids on her family and her friends and people in her villages as well. And I think that that should be very concerning that not only um, law enforcement, like federal law enforcement, but also border patrol agents, also drug enforcement agents, also um, like private police forces like TUPD and other campus police are going on these trips to learn from the specific people that are putting children in prison, that are conducting night raids on villages, that are, you know, enforcing racist checkpoints that are allowing people movement and um, and basic rights on the basis of their ethnicity and on the basis of their citizenship. And I think that should make us very concerned as to the direction that TUPD is going, especially because 
TUPD has a history of racist policing. We've seen that in, you know, how there's more police at parties hosted by student groups that are like black student groups or LGBT student groups, whereas like often frat parties on campus go unpatrolled or they don't get crashed, right? Um, so, and especially, um, this is coming on the heels of the Observer's article last year talking about, you know, the militarization of TUPD, how now TUPD is trained in using semi-automatic rifles, and also um, the presence of unmarked cars now on campus, um, unmarked police cars. So I think, like, when you add all those factors together, this should be concerning every student on this campus that's worried about marginalized communities, that's worried about you know, who TUPD is trying to protect. And I, spe I especially think that under the guise of, you know, counterterrorism is when we see these, like, racist, discriminatory practices come about. I guess one of the biggest questions that kind of comes up, and I think that the article addresses it um, to a degree, is, is the idea of, like, preparing for counterterrorism measures, like, even a valid concern? Is that something that, like, actually should be done? Is there, yeah, really a precedent for being concerned other than, you know, uh, for being concerned about counterterrorism as something that, like, needs to be undertaken to protect students? I mean, if there is something, I feel like we should know about it, and they haven't been very transparent about that information. They haven't been very transparent about what specifically they're worried about. And, like, sort of regardless of that, like Mira was saying, like, they're learning from the wrong people. And mm -hmm. even if they do genuinely care about counterterrorism and being prepared in that sort of situation, they're learning from people who have been condemned by the UN Council Against Torture for torturing children. And, like, that's not who should be teaching counterterrorism seminars, regardless of if they're actually important or necessary. Yeah, I think this also like comes under the issue of transparency, like you were saying. Like, if this is a concern, then like the Tufts community should know about it as well. And this is like comes at, as just one layer of transparency, right? Like we also weren't informed about the unmarked cars or the militarization of the police um, until students took the initiative of investigating those issues. Mm -hmm. And I think like that's a trend that we see at this university consistently is that. Um, issues go unnoticed until students take the initiative of digging deep into them. So I'm really glad that like people are taking notice to this article and are realizing that like this is controversial, especially in light of you know last year when Tufts issued a statement saying that they don't um, make decisions on based on geopolitical issues, right? And then continues to go on a exchange trip to be trained by IDF forces. Um, I guess then what I would ask is, how can, how, what are things like SJP is doing in terms of getting across that this is the wrong way to do things? Yeah. Um, I think when we're talking about policing in America, it's really imperative to have, like, black voices at the forefront because, like, we've seen that police in America have like um, disproportionately been policing, surveilling, um, and imprisoning a certain group of people more than anyone else. Um, so I think that like in this conversation, those voices need to be at the forefront. And SJP um, looks forward to like building coalition with black student groups on campus on 
racial justice work because it is so intimately connected and this exchange trip really I think um, gives weight to that because you know in Palestine right like 99% of Palestinians that's the conviction rate 99% and and we see a similar disproportionate rate of incarceration of black people in America um, so when we have uh, police forces being trained by um, like militaries that are imprisoning a certain group of people based on their ethnicity and based on their um, citizenship and and bring those tactics here um, I think that is really concerning as to like what road police are taking uh, and I think that you know there are so many uh, community organizations in America that are working on police violence and on you know, community policing and building alliances to like protect each other, uh, and I think that's really like where the action should be going is like in the hands of the people. Yeah. And on a larger scale, JVP Jewish Voice for Peace is running this national campaign right now, um, the Deadly Exchange, um, and they have a lot of resources on their website and a petition and some actions and ways that. Um, if you're on a college campus or other places, you can do some work to educate other people. Um, so yeah, there's some great resources for learning more and getting more involved. I'm here with Andrew Goldblatt, who's on the National Student Board for J Street U. And we're talking about the TUPD travel to trip to Israel article. So, Andrew, what what are your thoughts and the thoughts you've heard of others about the article? Yeah, so I've read the article. Um, I think maybe I should also disclose that at one point, like six years ago, I interned at the Anti-Defamation League, which is the organization that um, sponsored that trip to Israel. I don't know anything about the trips or the training that they do or what, what happens on the trip, but I did work for that organization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know. I think there's a, there's a lot I don't know about about the details of the story and, and the details of the trip. It, does, it doesn't strike me as the best thing that police are are being trained in Israel or it brings up a lot of a lot of questions for me about what's happening, why these trips are necessary, what's so valuable, what what type of training did the guy actually get? But it's not immediately a huge problem to me that it mm. happened at all. I think um yeah, I think it's really interesting that that this has come up, but 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 to me it's also a little bit frustrating because it feels a little bit superfluous to kind of the issues going on in Israel mm -hmm. and in Palestine. Um, why are we focusing on this sort of one incident of one one guy, one TUPD officer who went to receive some extra training when there's sort of like much larger systemic issues going on that we can be thinking about and working on and talking about? I don't see how this gets us any further. Mm -hmm. So just going off of what you said, you referred to things that probably should be given more attention. So what do you think are sort of the more pressing issues that like deserve attention? Well, I think a lot about 
the people who are living in Israel and Palestine and how what's going on is affecting their daily lives. I, I hope, and JSTRU as an organization works toward a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, and I think the situation right now is that that solution is not going to happen any day. And, it, and at least I believe that the only way that the occupation of the Palestinian territories is going to end is going to be through a two-state agreement. But I think it's pretty clear that that's not going to happen right now when you have Netanyahu and a really right-wing government in control in Israel. You have Trump control in control in the United States. And the combination of those two may <laughs> make make it impossible to make it impossible for the Palestinians to do anything politically. They're stuck, but still there are people living under occupation every day. I think about people in Susia who whose homes um, are again up for demolition and they have been like for years and there's hundreds of Palestinians who live with uncertainty um, of if their homes are still going to exist. Um, going forward and there actually are things we can do about people in those kinds of situations we don't talk about it that much it's not what i hear about on campus but there is actual work that students and that student organizers can and that some student organizers are doing around those issues and it actually does make a difference it's not just like an angry debate on campus mm -hmm. so yeah do you think that kind of the the issues brought up may have been kind of sidetracked a little bit by maybe people getting angry or or not really delving into the problems. Maybe brought up in the article that of like potential uh, like bad practices being brought to Tufts. I don't even know what the practices are. Mm -hmm. I think you know the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is complicated and there's certainly horrible things that happen you know there's tons of things that the IDF the Israeli military does um, that I wouldn't want a TUPD officer knowing or doing and at the same time there's tons of things that any military does or that any police office does and I don't know the details of the of the training that was offered there's plenty of things that um, police offices do that that are good and even you know I hate to say it um it sort of scares me to say it but even that like the IDF does that that might I, I'm not going to say good that are, but might be productive in some way and I don't know the details of what happened on this trip so I'm not going to say whether I think it was good or mm -hmm. or bad but I I mean I guess I don't think you know to me, that feels like an important part of a conversation about this trip. Mm -hmm. That doesn't feel like where the conversation in the article or in what uh, I've heard from folks around campus, that doesn't seem like what they want to be talking about here. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have any, any more concluding thoughts or anything else you want to say that you think was important about the article or your reaction to it? I think the main thing I would say is that I think it's great that students on campus are interested in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I think it's great that people have really strong opinions and that they're figuring out things like this and, and having a conversation about them happening. I wish that the conversation was more framed around what kinds of things we can do to make the situation better for Israelis and for Palestinians who are living under occupation. 
because there actually are things we can do. We can do more than just debate on a campus about, you know, these little instances. We can think about how to organize and actually um, make the region a better place for folks to live. And I, I wish and I hope that um, that's where this conversation will go. So what sort of things do you think people can do? Or, like you mentioned, organizing or things that can happen to improve the welfare of people in Israel and Palestine? Um, yeah, so there's plenty of different things to be doing, lots of groups on campus to get involved in. I work with, um, I'm a leader in J Street U, which is a student organizing movement. Um, working, we work toward a two-state solution and we work to end the um, occupation in the West Bank and in Gaza. Um, and right now we're currently doing a stop demolitions, build peace campaign. We're trying to um, build support on campus, in the American Jewish community and in, among American politicians um, to stop the demolition of Palestinian homes. And we hope that in stopping these demolitions, we um, are going to also help stop the potential for Israel to annex the West Bank. And um, there's plenty of ways that different folks can get involved in that if you look us up on social media or find us on campus. Um, but I would also, you know, if you feel like you don't know that much about the conflict, um, read up about it, look into what different groups there are. There's lots of different angles to come at, that, come, to come at it with or from. And everyone's gonna find a different answer. That marks the end of episode one of the Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed it, and we sincerely hope that you've enjoyed this uh, Creative Commons uh, music backdrop. I know that I have, and we can't wait for the next one, which will be about who knows what. We're always open to feedback, suggestions, what we should be doing next, uh, things you didn't like, things you did like, um, discussions about whether my voice or Armand's voice is uh, more radio ready. We all know the answer to that. And we look forward to speaking with you again for episode two, which will be about we don't know yet. See you then.